Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six. I'm Natalie, and I'm here with two of my favorite humans. I've been looking for fun state facts for where we live, so I will start with Puerto Rico's state bird, the stripe-headed tanager, tanager, I don't know how to say it. I don't really care. Cute little bird. Looks kind of like a finch. I put a picture in the show notes for y'all. Oh, he's so cute. Oh. Black and white head with little yellow, bo- little yellow boobies with a yellow breast. <laughs> he's adorable. Yeah, that's a male. And then the females are, of course, lesser colored, but it is a really cute bird, but it kind of looks like a hoodlum, like he's about to go on <laughs> on, a, on like a, a bank robbery or something but- like he's got this <laughs> striped mask pulled down over his head. But he's so dapper <laughs> in his bright yellow waistcoat. So, so maybe. No, no. I was thinking I was thinking he looks like a cat burglar, you know, he's 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 a gentleman hood. <laughs> gentleman I see what you did there <laughs> no go ahead with the description of how he's a hoodlum because <laughs> it's just a dapper dress hoodlum from Puerto Rico <laughs> <laughs> you know just like a cat burglar or something with the black and white striped hood and it stops so cleanly where the yellow breast starts and the yellow suit mm-hmm. it really looks like he's wearing a hood <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Dapper burglar who steals his wife's pantyhose. (laughs) That would be your bird. (laughs) Hey, she steals everything, not just pantyhose. Um, (laughs) So moving on from the the hooded hoodlum, Angel is coming to us from Texas, which is the Mockingbird State. And Polly is in Tennessee, which is also the Mockingbird Hmm. So what you're saying is we are from we are from states where we are already uh, have a tendency to talk too much. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if it's a state tendency. Yeah, uh, I heard on the radio once that there's actually a national tell a mockingbird to shut the up day, <laughs> but I can't find the date. Oh, <laughs> that's sad because it would be. I think it's, useful I think it's for every day. Right? It's every day. Every day you have to deal with a mockingbird is <sighs> telling it to shut the heck up. Just like having a conure. I had one make piece? a nest outside my front door one time. You couldn't go mm. out the door without an umbrella or a tennis racket. Okay. <laughs> because he was going to kill you. <laughs> I, the determination. Actually, this kind of does tie into our story today. So, yeah, that's he could at least take out an eye. <laughs> Looking forward to it. (laughs) Okay. So why don't you get us started with the cultures that this story developed in? Okay. So the notes on Cinderella from Grimm's Household Tales, Volume 1, that was published in 1905 are extensive. 
After reading them, it makes sense that there are so many different versions of this story floating around today. Apparently, they combined as many as nine different collected tales into this version of Cinderella. They mention three stories in Hesse. There's one from Mecklenburg, where the main character is called Aschenputtel, who has become queen, and the stepmother was a witch. That story goes into her life after her marriage and has some seriously tragic elements with the birth of her son. In another version, instead of a ball, she isn't allowed to go to church because she has no clothes that are nice enough. And when she weeps at her mother's grave, her mother gives her a key that opens the hollow tree where there is a full wardrobe and soap to wash herself and a prayer book. Um, in that one, it's a count who puts tar on the threshold of the church to catch her. Um, in a version from Zetao, there's a heroine that is a miller's daughter. In that one, we get a dog instead of a dove who warns of the shoe being full of blood. Um, their notes even mention Asbjornsen's Norwegian stories and a very ancient custom where those who were unhappy would seat themselves among the ashes which the Grimm brothers then connect to Odysseus sitting himself among the ashes. So yeah, this is a true mashup. And it almost takes as much time to read their notes about Cinderella as to read the actual story itself. Yeah, literary explication can get wordy, especially when it's a popular subject. And there's not much more popular subject than Cinderella, with so many versions of the trope around the world. There is a fascinating lesson plan out by uh, Yale that's based on analyzing Cinderella as a cross-cultural story that claims that there are over 900 versions of the story around the world. Wow. You know, the funny thing about that is that the magic fish story that I couldn't remember when we first recorded The Fisherman and His Wife, I started reading and boom, this is it. Golden eyes, not golden fish. It was a Cinderella story from China called Ye Shen, where her stepmother ate her magic fish pet, and the fish bones were what granted her the cool clothes and golden shoes. The mother and stepsister end up being crushed in the cave by what they say is flying stone at the end. I'm guessing it was more falling stone, and that's a translation thing. <laughs> But, oh, man, talk about a horrible way to die. <laughs> yeah. the, um, the Yale course mentions Ye Shen as the very first written version and dates it back to 850 CE. Apparently, the more popular version used today was published by Charles Perrault from France in 1697. That's the story that the Disney version is based on. Well, it's a kinder, gentler Cinderella. Everybody wins in the end. But if you look back further, the whole rags-to-riches trope also matches the Esther story, which was written much earlier. It's from the Judaic writings. Mm, nice. As, as a kid, I found it confusing that the version in my storybook and the movie I loved were so very different. It wasn't until I saw the Reading Rainbow episode where LeVar Burton reads Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters from Africa um, that I began to realize and appreciate how many different versions there were of this story. At the height of my fairy tale reading, I actually tried to see how many different Cinderella stories I could find. Katie Woodencloak was one included in my favorite copy of East of the Sun, West of the Moon, where she is actually serving the prince in the guise of a servant girl, 
and he's kind of a douchebag to her. He's really a huge douchebag, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the end she marries him anyway. So I, I guess he's her means to an end. <laughs> her respect. You got to do what you got to do to survive. So let's move on to the reading of the story to let everyone get caught up. And then we can discuss some of the details of it and our thoughts. No one knows a thing about you and all these songs are right on us without your tears. Cinderella by the Brothers Grimm. The wife of a rich man fell sick, and as she felt that her end was drawing near, she called her only daughter to her bedside and said, Dear child, be good and pious and then the good God will always protect you, and I will look down on you from heaven and be near you. Thereupon she closed her eyes and departed. Every day the maiden went out to her mother's grave and wept, and she remained pious and good. When winter came, the snow spread a white sheet over the grave, and by the time the spring sun had drawn it off again, the man had taken another wife. The woman had brought with her into the house two daughters, who were beautiful and fair of face, but vile and black of heart. Now began a bad time for the poor stepchild. Is the stupid goose to sit in the parlor with us? they said. He who wants to eat bread must earn it. Out with the kitchen wench. They took her pretty clothes away from her, put an old gray bedgown on her, and gave her wooden shoes. Just look at the proud princess, how decked out she is. They cried and laughed and led her into the kitchen. There she had to do hard work from morning till night, get up before daybreak, carry water, light fires, cook, and wash. Besides this, the sisters did her every imaginable injury. They mocked her and emptied peas and lentils into the ashes so that she was forced to sit and pick them out again. In the evening, when she had worked till she was weary, she had no bed to go to, but had to sleep by the hearth in the cinders. And as on that account, she always looked dusty and dirty, and they called her Cinderella. It happened that the father was once again going to the fair, and he asked his two stepdaughters what he should bring back for them. Beautiful dresses, said one. Pearls and jewels, said the second. And you, Cinderella, he said, what will you have? Father, break off for me the first branch which knocks against your hat on your way home. So he bought beautiful dresses, pearls, and jewels for his two stepdaughters. And on his way home, as he was riding through a green thicket, a hazel twig brushed against him and knocked off his hat. Then he broke off the branch and took it with him. When he reached home, he gave his stepdaughters the things which they had wished for, and to Cinderella he gave the branch from the hazel bush. Cinderella thanked him, went to her mother's grave, and planted the branch on it, and wept so much that the tears fell down and watered it. And it grew and became a handsome tree, 
Thrice a day Cinderella went and sat beneath it, and wept and prayed. And a little white bird always came on the tree, and if Cinderella expressed a wish, the bird threw down to her what she had wished for. It happened, however, that the king gave orders for a festival which was to last three days and to which all the beautiful young girls in the county were invited, in order that his son might choose himself a bride. When the two stepsisters heard that they too were to appear among the number, they were delighted, called Cinderella and said, Comb out our hair for us, brush our shoes and fasten our buckles, for we are going to the wedding at the king's palace. Cinderella obeyed but wept, because she too would have liked to go with them to the dance, and begged her stepmother to allow her to do so. You go, Cinderella, said she, covered in dust and dirt as you are, and would go to a festival. You have no clothes and shoes, and yet would dance. As, however, Cinderella went on asking, the stepmother said at last, I have emptied a dish of lentils into the ashes for you. If you have picked them out again in two hours, you shall go with us. The maiden went through the back door into the garden and called, You tame pigeons, you turtle doves, and all you birds beneath the sky, come and help me to pick the good into the pot, the bad into the crop. Then two white pigeons came in by the kitchen window, and afterwards the turtle doves, and at last all the birds beneath the sky came whirring and crowding in, and alighted among the ashes. And the pigeons nodded with their heads and began pick, 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 pick. And the rest also began to pick, 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 and gathered all the good grains into the dish. Hardly one hour passed before they had finished, and all flew out again. Then the girl took the dish to her stepmother and was glad, and believed that now she would be allowed to go with them to the festival. But the stepmother said, No, Cinderella, you have no clothes and you cannot dance. You would only be laughed at. And as Cinderella wept at this, the stepmother said, If you can pick two dishes of lentils out of the ashes for me in one hour, you shall go with us. And she thought to herself that she most certainly cannot do again. When the stepmother had emptied the two dishes of lentils among the ashes, the maiden went through the back door into the garden and cried, You tame pigeons, you turtle doves, and all you birds beneath the sky, come and help me to pick the good into the pot, the bad into the crop. Then two white pigeons came in by the kitchen window, and afterwards the turtle doves, and at length All the birds beneath the sky came whirring and crowding in and alighted among the ashes. And the doves nodded their heads and began to pick, 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 pick. And the others also began pick, 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 pick. And gathered all the good seeds into the dishes. And before half an hour was over, they had already finished and all flew out again. Then the maiden was delighted 
and then believed that she might now go with them to the wedding. But the stepmother said, All this will not help. You cannot go with us, for you have no clothes and cannot dance. We would be ashamed of you. On this, she turned her back on Cinderella and hurried away with her two proud daughters. As no one was now at home, Cinderella went to her mother's grave beneath the hazel tree and cried. Shiver and quiver, little tree, silver and gold throw down over me. Then the bird threw a gold and silver dress down to her and slippers embroidered with silk and silver. She put on the dress with all speed and went to the wedding. Her stepsisters and the stepmother, however, did not know her and thought she must be a foreign princess for she looked so beautiful in the golden dress. They never once thought of Cinderella and believed that she was sitting at home in the dirt, picking lentils out of the ashes. The prince approached her, took her by the hand, and danced with her. He would dance with no other maiden, and never let loose of her hand, and if anyone else came to invite her, he said, This is my partner. She danced till it was evening, and then she wanted to go home. But the king's son said, I will go with you and bear you company, for he wished to see to whom the beautiful maiden belonged. She escaped from him, however, and sprang into the pigeon house. The king's son waited until her father came, and then told him that the unknown maiden had leapt into the pigeon house. The old man thought, Can it be Cinderella? And they had to bring him an axe and a pickaxe that he might hew the pigeon house to pieces. But no one was inside it. And when they got home, Cinderella lay in her dirty clothes among the ashes, and a dim little oil lamp was burning on the mantelpiece. For Cinderella had jumped quickly down from the back of the pigeon house and had run to the little hazel tree. There she had taken off her beautiful clothes and laid them on the grave. The bird had taken them away again, and then she had seated herself in the kitchen amongst the ashes in her gray gown. Next day, when the festival began afresh, and her parents and the stepsisters had gone once more, Cinderella went to the hazel tree and said, Shiver and quiver, my little tree, silver and gold throw down over me. Then the bird threw down a much more beautiful dress than on the preceding day. And when Cinderella appeared at the wedding in this dress, everyone was astonished at her beauty. The king's son had waited until she came and instantly took her by the hand and danced with no one but her. When others came and invited her, he said, This is my partner. When evening came, she wished to leave, and the king's son followed her, and wanted to see into which house she went. But she sprang away from him and into the garden behind the house. Therein stood a beautiful tall tree on which hung the most magnificent pears. She clambered so nimbly between the branches like a squirrel that the king's son did not know where she had gone. He waited until her father came and said to him, 
The unknown maiden has escaped from me, and I believe she climbed up the pear tree. The father thought, can it be Cinderella? And had an axe brought, cut the tree down, but no one was on it. And when they got into the kitchen, Cinderella lay there among the ashes as usual, for she had jumped down on the other side of the tree, had taken the beautiful dress to the bird on the little hazel tree, and put on her gray gown. On the third day, when the parents and sisters had gone away, Cinderella went once more to her mother's grave and said to the little tree, Shiver and quiver, my little tree, silver and gold throw down over me. And now the bird threw down to her a dress which was more splendid and magnificent than any she had yet had, and the slippers were golden. When she went to the festival in the dress, no one knew how to speak for astonishment. The king's son danced with her only, and if anyone invited her to dance, he said, This is my partner. When evening came, Cinderella wished to leave, and the king's son was anxious to go with her. But she escaped from him so quickly that he could not follow her. The king's son, however, had employed a ruse and had caused the whole staircase to be smeared with pitch. And there, when she ran down, had the maiden's left slipper remained stuck. The king's son picked it up, and it was small and dainty and all golden. Next morning, he went with it to the father and said to him, No one shall be my wife but she whose foot this golden slipper fits. Then were the two sisters glad, for they had pretty feet. The eldest went with the shoe into her room and wanted to try it on, and her mother stood by. But she could not get her big toe into it, and the shoe was too small for her. Then her mother gave her a knife and said, Cut the toe off. When you are queen, you will have no more need to go on foot. The maiden cut the toe off, forced the foot into the shoe, swallowed the pain, and went out to the king's son. Then he took her on his horse as his bride and rode away with her. They were obliged, however, to pass the grave, and there on the hazel tree sat the two pigeons and cried, Turn and peep, turn and peep, there's blood within the shoe. The shoe it is too small for her. The true bride waits for you. Then he looked at her foot and saw how the blood was trickling from it. He turned his horse around and took the false bride home again and said that she was not the true one and that the other sister was to put the shoe on. Then this one went into her chamber and got her toes safely into the shoe. But her heel was too large. So her mother gave her the knife and said, Cut a bit off your heel. When you are queen, you will have no more need to go on foot. The maiden cut a bit off her heel, forced her foot into the shoe, swallowed the pain, and went out to the king's son. He took her on his horse as his bride and rode away with her. But when they passed the hazel tree, the two pigeons sat on it and cried, 
Turn and peep, turn and peep. There's blood within the shoe. The shoe it is too small for her. The true bride waits for you. He looked down at her foot, and saw how the blood was running out of her shoe, and how it had stained her white stocking quite red. Then he turned his horse and took the false bride home again. This also is not the right one," said he. "Have you no other daughter?" "No," said the man. "There is still a little stunted kitchen wench, which my late wife left behind her, but she cannot possibly be the bride." The king's son said he was to send her up to him, but that mother answered, "Oh no, she is much too dirty. She cannot show herself." But he absolutely insisted on it, and Cinderella had to be called. She first washed her hands and face clean, and then went and bowed down before the king's son, who gave her the golden shoe. Then she seated herself on a stool, drew her foot out of the heavy wooden shoe, and put it into the slipper, which fitted like a glove. And when she rose up. And the king's son looked at her face. He recognized the beautiful maiden who had danced with him and cried, "That is the true bride." The stepmother and the two sisters were horrified and became pale with rage. He, however, took Cinderella on his horse and rode away with her. As they passed by the hazel tree, the two white doves cried, "Turn and peep! Turn and peep!" No blood is in the shoe; the shoe is not too small for her. The true bride rides with you. And when they had cried that, the two came flying down and placed themselves on Cinderella's shoulders, one on the right and the other on the left, and remained sitting there. When the wedding with the king's son was to be celebrated, the two false sisters came and wanted to get into favor with Cinderella. And share in her good fortune. When the betrothed couple went to the church, the elder was on the right side and the younger at the left, and the pigeons pecked out one eye from each of them. Afterwards, as they came back, the elder was at the left and the younger at the right, and then the pigeons pecked out the other eye from each. And thus, for their wickedness and falsehood. They were punished with blindness all their days. The end. Hope I find the words I need right now to make this next one. You hear? Okay, we are back, and I'm going to ask again, like I always do, what is your favorite part or version of this story? My favorite version is Katie Woodencloak. Is she related to Kate Crackernuts? I mean, we should do a whole compilation of all of the Kate travels through magical metal forest stories. I wonder if there's a historical figure named Kate that all of these are based on. Yeah, maybe it's like the historical Betty, where it's the standard name of the hero girl, like Boots for the youngest son in many tales. <laughs> I just can't. I can't get over Boots from Dora the Explorer. Isn't that her monkey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I love that the ball happens over three nights. 
Um, it just made a little more sense to me that they could fall in love after three dates than just one. Hey, maybe this is where the three date rule comes from. <laughs> well, brain chemistry science agrees with you, which makes it a little bit worse that he didn't recognize her through three dance nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I have forgotten a lot of men, even after more nights of dancing with them. I just didn't go looking for them afterwards. <laughs> I don't think that's the same thing. It makes a bit more sense if you consider the popularity of a masquerade ball. Yeah, but I think even at a masquerade ball, I still learn how that person moves and what their body looks like. And I just, I don't think dressing them in a different dress would make me not recognize somebody that I have fallen in love with. Well, except for the fact that all of the corsets and everything that they would have them in and the plumping of the butt, it made every woman's shape exactly the same. You know, you're right. That's true. That's true. Once you, once you take off, what was this era? Like you take off those hips, then yeah, I can kind of see it. If they had those like big wide hips or like you said, the big bustle in the back or the, yeah. Okay. Okay. If you go from a corset and makeup and your hair all did to just a, a, a gray drab sack with dirt all over your face, then maybe, okay. Y'all have convinced me and changed my mind. I would be exhausted dancing that much. I know this for a fact because I've been to events where I danced past midnight three nights in a row. Also chafing. So much chafing. By the last day, I was walking like a cowboy from the chafing. <laughs> yes. Chafing is such an issue. Ooh. Chafing. No, no, I, no. I, I never chafed chafing. when dancing. Not once. Are you kidding? I chafe walking across my living room. And th and I have you, thigh rubs. You must have been doing it wrong. I've had I'm thigh so rubs mad at you right life. now. When I just, if I just, if I just don't have on pants and I walk, my inner thighs rub against each other and create so much friction that I'm going to start 20 fires. <laughs> <laughs> and I was skinny back then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying, like, my thighs, even when I weighed 100 pounds, would still chafe. <laughs> the thigh gap is a lie. Yeah, well, not really. There's a lot of people that are bow-legged. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> I almost never went dancing in dresses. I almost always had on pants. Oh, well, that's why. Yeah. I had on pants under my dress for the chafing. <laughs> exactly. Like, I had so many sets of bike shorts just to prevent chafing. <laughs> I burned through bike shorts at the dances. Yeah. <laughs> I loved three nights of drum circle dancing at Dragon Con until 2 a.m. And then having to be back in the programming room by 7.30 a.m. setting up for the day. Whew. That is a lifestyle for the young. Don't think I could do that anymore. But I do enjoy the memories. <laughs> drum circle dancing is a different animal than English country dancing or line dancing or ballroom dancing <laughs> drum circles are a magical place to find angel late at night if I can't find the werewolf game in the pern room oh <laughs> werewolf <laughs> oh, the days, oh, the days. <laughs> I know sometimes we give Disney a hard time for the ways in which they change stories to make them more commercial but 
I love everything about the Disney Cinderella. I was actually really glad to finally be able to make peace with it, not having the doves and the magic tree or the ball that lasted three nights and not just one. Those cute little mice and the music was just too much for me to be able to do anything but love it. Though I am pretty sure I knew and loved the Rodgers and Hammerstein's version of Cinderella even before I saw the Disney version. There weren't any VHS or streaming services when I was little, and the Broadway version was televised when I was three, long before Disney pulled this out of the vault and put it back into theaters when I was in elementary school. So I guess a growing theme for me to love something is just add music. (laughs) That is so true. And Disney music has gotten so much better and so much less racist (laughs) over time. They're trying to be better people. They're trying. It's an attempt. I'll give them that. I don't know if I have a favorite movie version, but I do have favorite scenes. In the Drew Barrymore version, when the stepsister finds out that Ella is the stranger and they're sitting at tea, and she jumps up and starts screaming and throws a tantrum, and then she sits back down and serenely goes, There is a bee. (laughs) (laughs) and and, and i love the lily james version as well it's very much the organza cupcakes version for all the sparkly butterfly girls and she caught a lot of grief over uh unrealistic body images but she really was that her waist was that small like Mm -hmm. she was in an interview and she was wearing jeans and she stood up and she showed she's like i wasn't wearing a corset wow i hear drew barrymore's version was the the grittier more women's empowerment version and I hear good things about the Brandy version for Disney, but I was too old for fairy tales in 1997, so I haven't seen it. And I haven't seen the Billy Porter version yet, but it's on my list because Billy Porter. <laughs> of course. And Polly, you're never too old for fairy tales. Look at us now. <laughs> even even C.S. Lewis, he, he acknowledged that at some point you get too old for fairy tales and then later you're old enough for fairy tales. Then again, you outgrow so. that? That was, that was where you I was. You outgrow the too old? Yes. Oh, one of the several things I found disturbing in the grim version was the fact (laughs) that the father was still alive. The fact that he would allow his new wife to relegate his daughter to being a servant was absolutely horrifying to me. Then again, I was my father's favorite human. So it was heartbreaking to me to think a daddy could just stand by and let his little girl be treated that way. And then to claim she was just a stunted kitchen wench left behind by his late wife. Ooh, I really wanted something horrible to happen to him after that. I wanted him punished far more than the nasty sisters who were bullied into everything they did by their awful mother. Agreed. Did He should have got his eyes pecked out. <laughs> and truth, my dad would never... I think we can all agree that we hate Cinderella's father in this version. I just want to kick <laughs> yeah. him in the shins with a steel-toed boot. The pointy <laughs> ones from the armor. Right. <laughs> and Katie Woodencloak's father was too busy going off to war to bother with the well-being of his only daughter. Hello. <laughs> At least the stepmother is enough afraid of him to leave Katie alone when he's home. It seems like we have a cautionary tale of dangers of the absentee or neglectful fathers in Cinderella. So... Speaking of cautionary tales, let's move on to what you think the original lessons were. Good tie in there, Angel. (laughs) Well, there's a strong, obvious trope of good always triumphing over evil in the end. Um, There is also the universally loved theme of going from rags to riches. 
Well, that brings us back to the Esther story. Rags to riches is really an enduring trope. But instead of an absent father or a wicked stepmother, we have an evil, greedy advisor to the king. Yes, that is one of my favorite Bible stories, just because of the consequences that she brings down on Haman for trying to commit genocide just because her uncle wouldn't bow to him. It is very fitting that he dies on the 50-foot stake that he planned to impale her uncle on. Ooh, I always heard it was a gallows, not a 50-foot stake. What were they going to do, shish kebab him? Yes, that's what actually happened in the Bible. Yeah, they did, and they did. They did shish kebab him. Gosh, we can talk about that a little bit. When they said that they were going to put him on a 50-foot stake, we were like, how do they get him up there? Like, how did they do it? Did they build stairs? Did they use a ladder? <laughs> the logistics of this. No. They they inserted it in his and then oh, stood it up. You're probably I know how right. the 50-foot stake works. I just didn't hear that it was a 50-foot yep. stake. Okay, I didn't I did not need that children. imagery in my life. I really didn't. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, oh, come on. Come on, no. No. <laughs> This is biblical, way, Angel. We're telling Bible stories, which is perfectly okay brain, for any setting. <laughs> my brain is a visual brain. You say something Mine too. And it visualizes it. Mine too. Why do you think I was Angel brain Why bleach. do you think I was stuck on the visualization of how did they even do it? Thank you, Polly. Okay, can we go now, back to Cinderella? But I this is I mean Bibbity Bobbity Boo. Take me back. Was 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 he was he gonna shish kebab all the Jews on a fifty? No, only stake? the one that pissed him off. Her uncle pissed him off because he wouldn't bow to him. Oh, he was only gonna kill him. But then because um, he was mad at him, he asked to kill all the Jews. And then the king actually did a decree to say, "Yeah, sure, everybody kill all the Jews. It's fine." And then, um, you know, what's funny thing about that is is everybody loved the Jews so much that they were like, "Well, I'm Jewish now too. I'm not gonna turn them in." Oh. Yeah, I haven't. Like, you can't kill like, all of us because we're all This Jews. is literally the chapter that I listened to this morning. So we're on that cliffhanger right before, like, the, the king just agreed to attempt to draw back his decree. And now I'm, I'm, I'm stuck until tomorrow morning. I'm <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> I swear. I'm like, I'm literally on this story right now. And that's why when you brought it up, I'm like, I know this one. <laughs> And, and now we all have to bake hamantash and, and, and take baskets of goodies to our neighbors and ring because bells. Because a guy got impaled on a stick, you have to bring food to your neighbors and ring bells. That makes sense. That's We, we actually, we, our, our oven went out, so we actually baked the hamantash at the neighbor's house and then left them a panful. Wow. <laughs> and I want to go back to Cinderella. <laughs> okay, we can go back Nobody's to Cinderella. Nobody's getting a 50-foot pole shove up their butt in a Cinderella. They just get their Teddy. eyes picked up by birds. <laughs> I am so sorry that I told you Bible stories on our podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Let's okay, get so back to the story. The story, Angel. The story. The story. Yes, because in this story... It goes beyond rags to riches, and the ultimate win comes from being worthy of the prize. The good girl gets the prince, and the nasty, mean, selfish girls get their eyes picked out by birds. Or impaled. No! 
So that is always one of my favorite parts of all of these stories is the karmic consequences. I love all of the parts where the wicked relatives eyes get pecked out and they're killed by flying stones and such. Cinderella never even got mad at the birds for pecking out the stepsister's eyes, even though they did it at two separate times. (laughs) She didn't even tell them to stop. Her her mother always said, always be kind and pious, and she does, and in the end, she gets the prize. So be good and decent, and life will turn out well. In every version, Cinderella is always cheerful, no matter what, and dutiful, and industrious. Well, as the <sighs> title character, she is the good lesson. We haven't even talked about the self-mutilation, and so what lessons do you think the wicked stepmother and stepsisters were about? Well, it kind of... It almost speaks more to modern lessons than the original lessons. But in the early days, they were probably stressing the obedience to parents line. But today, I would say it's more of a lesson in if your parents try to make you do something that is harmful, say no. It's just awful that their mother's greed ended up leaving her daughters maimed for life. It's just not worth living falsely to try to win something that's not yours. Yeah, that's true. And... One other thing, honestly, for the second daughter, how could the prince tell that she was bleeding after her sister had filled the shoe with blood first? Like, that is so gross, but I guess they washed it. I wonder if Cinderella (laughs) got to wash the blood out of the shoe and gloat about it while she did it. She probably had to wash the blood out, and I can't see Cinderella gloating. True. She is a goody two-shoes. Goody one shoe. (laughs) Because Cinderella had the other shoe in her pocket the whole time. (laughs) She has one clean shoe. (laughs) I would have been in physical alterations. I mean, um, (laughs) the stepsisters were already in physical alterations. (laughs) Okay, okay. I would have been in physical altercations with my stepsisters in this situation. That was great wordplay, though, Polly. (laughs) So let's move on to what the modern audiences can learn from this story. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I always respond. I always responded to this story because it was Cinderella's kindness that made her special, not just her beauty. As a little girl with straight reddish brown hair, glasses, lots of freckles, and a bit on the plump side, I felt like beauty wasn't ever going to be an option for me. But kind, I could do kind. I wholeheartedly embraced the concept that kindness could eventually lead you to your dreams coming true. (laughs) Poor naive little angel, um, who probably still believes that deep down inside. Oh, I'm positive she does. And it works in lots of ways, as long as you balance it with self-care, too. For Katie, it was find a pretty douchebag, and you could take over his kingdom. (laughs) Yeshin wasn't even looking for a husband. She just wanted to return the shoes so she could talk to her fish friend again. It all comes down to shoes. That is true. And I do appreciate that many of the stories have the shoes that are lost through the trickery of the prince instead of just clumsy women like in some of the more modern tales. Also, that they were silver and gold. The whole wearing glass on your feet never seemed smart to me. Well, it's it's fairy glass. It only shows the pretty feet. <laughs> yeah, not the smushed up toes that those high heels would make. Ew! All the sweaty inside the glass. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Also... 
Don't forget about the animal companions. Without the animal friends, none of the magic even happens. If her kindness didn't extend to all life, even little snakes and fish in some stories and a bull in Katie Woodencloak, it wouldn't work. Also, why in the world did the bull in Katie Woodencloak ask for decapitation like the fox in The Golden Bird, but he didn't even turn into a prince afterwards? That left me flummoxed. Maybe he just wanted release. <laughs> Maybe. He, wanted he, he was just We don't know his situation. They never told us his backstory. It's probably very tragic. <laughs> <laughs> we need a story for the bull. We do. Maybe we should write one. Why did the bull want to be decapitated? <laughs> um, the real magic here was that the birds didn't eat the lentils. I can't even keep nuggies out of my coffee. And last night she stole a pepper bigger than her head from my bowl. I had a chicken steal a whole sandwich on a run by. <laughs> the birds did get to eat something, though. She told them good ones in the pot, bad ones in the crop. So they were like, "You one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. <laughs> I bet they didn't all make it to the crop. Like, they didn't grow. <laughs> she got all the pretty lentils in the pot and the broken ones the birds ate. Yeah. That makes more sense. That a lot more <laughs> sense, actually. So to close out, what do you think happened after the story? <laughs> oh, goodness. The problem is, most of the things that I'd like to see happen wouldn't, because Cinderella is just too nice. I still want something very <laughs> karmic to happen to her father. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that is so true. I think... That the prince indulged his foot fetish and finally bought her some of those glass slippers. So that's why Disney had glass slippers. What if the <laughs> artist had the foot fetish? Do you suppose the prince wore her shoes? I bet Katie Woodencloak's pretty boy stayed in his room wearing her shoes. Not to judge. That's my favorite scene from Stardust. <laughs> we always knew you was a whoopsie. <laughs> Oh, now we need a new movie with the prince <laughs> dressing up in her shoes. Nice. Mm. Oh my god! Somebody call a Billy drag Porter. drag version of Cinderella. It'd be oh, illegal yes. in y'all states. Oh, that's true. Because <laughs> uh, nobody does anything illegal in our states. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more. All at the end of the road